1: Hello, I'm Scarlett Russell, entertainment editor for the Sunday Times Style, and this is Secrets of the Side Hustle, your go-to podcast to find out what it really takes to turn your passion into your career. Each episode, we hear from inspiring female founders who give us the lowdown on how they turn their side hustle into a thriving business. From baking for the stars to sex tech, disrupting the fast fashion industry and more, in this show, we get the ins and outs and ups and downs of setting up your own company whilst pocketing nuggets of advice along the way. On this episode of Secrets of the Side Hustle, we're joined by Lily Jones, founder of Lily Vanilli, the bakery brand that went from selling baked goods on a stall in Shoreditch to creating bespoke cakes for A-list celebrities and brands across the globe. Lily has been selling her cakes under the name Lily Vanilli since 2008 and has since set up shops in London and Georgia whilst publishing three best-selling recipe books and co-founding the Young British Foodie Awards, all whilst running and growing a successful business. But how has she done it? Let's hear from the woman herself. Welcome to Secrets of the Side Hustle, Lily. I should start by saying we're not in our basement dark studio. We're in your bakery off Columbia Road, East London. Columbia Flower Market is just around the corner. It's not on right now because we're in the middle of the week, but it's a beautiful summer's day and we're inside the bakery, and it's lovely to be here. Welcome to the bakery. Thank you for coming. Now, I have to ask, first of all, your name is not Lily Vanilli. Your name is, in fact, Lily Jones. Lily Jones, yeah.
2: So and 13 years of being asked the question, I still don't have a funny answer. <laughs> but it, honestly, it was just a stupid joke, and I never really intended to have a, a business. So um, it was the name for my market store. It came out of just a chat conversation, and on you know, on, like, Messenger and that was that there was no real thinking behind it it's just a stupid wordplay which i have to admit like i have a soft spot for so it yeah. was inevitable
1: so you've had your business for 13 years yes yeah, since 2008 the end of 2008 so let's let's start at the beginning lily because you lily vanilli started as a stall in brick lane because you were doing something completely different mm-hmm. graphic design yes So tell me how you got into graphic design, first of all. Honestly, I sort of, I I, I kind of fell
2: into it. I was living in Australia and I was doing graphic design for the Australian Greens Party, who i had been volunteering for um, while I tried to find, figure out what I was going to do with myself there. And when I came back to London, I just had no... First of all, not really the qualifications required. And secondly, not really any desire to kind of be a graphic designer and work for brands. And, you know, mm-hmm. it had been this kind of crusade in a way. The Greens party in Australia, amazing, did good work. So, but more to the point I got back and it was after the recession and I just couldn't get work anywhere, even kind of waitressing and stuff that I'd done since I was 14, I just couldn't find a job but I could bake, so, and it's very generous to call it a market stall. It was kind of a pop-up, which I did with my friends on Sundays. And I think we paid like 50 pounds to use the space and nobody came ever. <laughs> like We had no customers. And I did like margaritas and made cakes and we just like get drunk and eat the cake. <laughs> it was not really a thing, but a writer from, it was from the Sunday Times, wrote a piece about baking, which kind of broke cupcakes as a trend and used me as an example which I'm forever grateful for. But just that even like young people in East London are baking now. And all these big Mm. brands like Hummingbird and Primrose were coming to the UK. So it was this kind of zeitgeisty thing. And so without really planning it, I suddenly had a kind of business and a lot of attention on the brand. You grew up in
1: Saudi Arabia.
2: Yes. And you always baked? No. Do you know, I just don't come from like a food household. We didn't cook at home. It wasn't something which was important to my family growing up but it was it was kind of later when i was actually in an australia and i had a boyfriend who's a musician and he but he was an amazing cook and i just never seen anything it was kind of before like the food it's really hard to imagine now but you know before the huge food revival that we've experienced in the uk so it's like all you know and all his friends we'd have these great parties and everyone cooked and i was like It was the first time I got a sense that something creative and like interesting was happening in the kitchen. And I was just really drawn to baking. So I'd spent a few years while I was there baking a lot. And then when I was broke, I was like, well, I could sell cakes. But it was really far out idea. I mean, I, just, I didn't know anyone who baked. It was like a really granny, like nerdy hobby. It was a really unusual thing to do, which sounds absurd now because it's so normal, which I love. I love that this has kind of grown into such a like cultural revolution. But it was just a really strange
1: thing at the time. It's so funny to think back that you're so right. It wasn't It wasn't a thing back then. And then it sort of suddenly became cool. So you were baking actually in Australia. Yeah. What made you move to the UK then? Yeah. Uh,
2: I wanted to break up with my boyfriend, okay. <laughs> and I hopped on a plane. <laughs> um, yeah, the it was just time to go. The got you into baking. That's I know. so sad. <laughs> Still a wonderful cook. Um, yeah, it was just time to go. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't really my city. London is my city, and I loved it there. But I felt like I was missing out on something, and I wanted to come back and be.
1: In my 20s in, in London. So you were in your 20s when you moved to London. Yeah. So growing up in Saudi Arabia, just briefly, you know, what was that like? What was the food like? Well, I was in London like
2: before I went to Australia. So I was there briefly. And, and I was in the, I was in Saudi till I was 14, 4 to 14. And then after that, always London. So I was kind of coming back to London rather than moving there for the first time. It was already my, my home. Got it. But yeah, Saudi is wild. It's really hard to explain because it's so different from anything else. And it's really changed now it's sort of open for tourists but it's very even compared to the rest of the Middle East like to live there as an expat where you were kind of really separated from normal society and and it is a very strange place to grow up I guess but in a way because everybody who's not from Saudi is kind of us to live in these compounds i had this incredibly multicultural community you know all my friends are from all around the world you know it's really like from lebanon and pakistan and france and sweden and you know few english people in the mix but in a way it was kind of this amazing upbringing in that sense and and then we left when i was 14 so it's kind of just it was the right time to move to england and kind of be around normal but, if, uh, I mean, it's very hard to explain how cut off it was, you know, even um, popular culture. Like, there's no kind of access to, like, normal news and, like, music. I thought the Beach Boys was a current band. Yeah. <laughs> I was, like, <gasps> devastated to find out they're all old.
1: <laughs> Why were you there? Were your parents there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My okay. dad worked there. I mean, women
2: still couldn't work there by a long, right. long way. And, like, he mm-hmm. just had quite a normal job it didn't really require you know wasn't kind of working in oil or working or the army which is what normally takes people there but he decided to pack up and go
1: wow so let's bring it forward to you're now in london you're what 20 something when you set up the store yeah you're not making profit you're eating yeah. your cake yeah yeah yeah. and then the sunday times writes about you what happens next how was how does that develop the business that was just this wild time because it it really snowballed like a lot more press.
2: So within the first six months, and I mean, I didn't have a website or anything when this piece came out. So I had no intentions of really having a business. And suddenly I was, I mean, within six months, I was begging for Elton John to like his white tie and terrible, but then some private dinners and this nuts, you know, just crazy things. I had a concession in Harrods and a book deal. And it really, it's a much more familiar story now because I feel like I've seen this so many times, you know? And there's just been this amazing revolution of kind of creativity and food and people and individuals. Even having your own business was quite unusual for young people then. I didn't know anyone who'd done that before
1: totally i still think it's a pretty impressive thing to go from naught to
2: elton john quite quickly it's much more every day now for young people to set up businesses and i feel like that generation was kind of you know there was a lot of press around the fact that there was there was kind of post-recession there was this real like ripping off the rule book and and across kind of different industries young people were just kind of doing things on their own because they couldn't find work and i feel like that's really inspired the next generation so now it's like people think it's you know, really aspirational from early on to own your own business, which is amazing and it's completely changed everything, but it was strange at the time for sure.
1: That's a really interesting point because now we're go we're post COVID, we're post pandemic, we are gonna go into another recession and period of austerity. It's kind of exciting to think what might come out of that and all these other yeah. businesses that might come out of that. Let's just go back to Elton John yeah, quickly. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> what, <laughs> how back. does Elton like his cakes?
2: It was cool because we get these really extravagant and open-ended briefs. So the first one was Gaga in Wonderland and he had Lady Gaga performing. And I didn't realize at the time, but it was essentially, it was basically, it ended up being almost like a sort of competition between different pastry chefs. So I was told to bring nine canopy desserts. And there were a bunch of other people there. I didn't know that that anyone else was gonna be there. I was so naive. And that was the brief and that was it. And I made these like crazy things like these kind of weird geometric shapes and like pyramids and like gold and pink and really quite like tall, like teetering, like little layer cakes. And then, and yeah, they took all of them. And then we did a few more things after that. Yeah, it was a great, great client. What were the, do you remember the flavors of the cakes that you made? I don't actually. I know there was like some chocolate stuff and some red velvet stuff because the red velvet was like very happening then. Oh
1: Yeah, yeah. I remember <laughs> yeah. when that became a thing. In
2: the days. Yes. Um, but I don't actually, and you know, I don't even have photos of that stuff. It's like before Instagram. I just, there's just all this whole like early chapter, which is really undocumented, which also seems crazy now. It was much later that Instagram was like, and that's really when my business kind of took off in terms of, Never making loads of money, to be totally honest. But to start running more as a business, then, you know, it had been pretty breaking even. for an, an, But yeah, Instagram was the, it, the huge, like, pivotal change. Much more than, like, any press I ever had. And we had, like, a lot of press early on. But that was the kind of game changer.
1: Just this incredible free marketing tool. We should point out that you're completely self-taught. Unlike a lot of bakers out there, you didn't have formal training. This is just you in a kitchen doing it right
2: yeah yeah yeah, and i guess again like that's much more common now and certainly there's a lot of imposter syndrome that comes with that but i think there's also in terms of creating an identity and doing something different there's loads more scope for individuality and and doing something that stands out because you're in in control of the direction of your education from the start
1: how did you learn was it just practice practice over again
2: so back in those days, I would watch YouTubes where they were like, it would be some random sort of middle aged woman in middle America sort of teaching about fondant. Because and, this
1: is before YouTube really blew up, to be fair, right? Like, this yeah, is, YouTube was still in use. Re- YouTube was
2: around, but like early days, but you know, it was pretty, it just wasn't what it is today. Sure. And, and certainly with baking, it just wasn't like cool yet. So it would be kind of, first of all, recipe books. And that was very much like Diane Leopard, Delia Smith, Nigella. And then just, yeah, like stuff from the internet, but it was so strange. And you'd have to kind of trawl through these um, bizarre kind of like homemakers content Mm. to find like a nugget of something useful. But I was just really obsessed and interested to see where I could take it in lots of different directions from the beginning. So. I just really enjoyed all of that. I mean, honestly, when I started the business, I started it because I was completely broke and I couldn't get any work. I really didn't have money to put the heating on. You know, I choose between the oven and the heating. No one was hiring me. So in a way, it was a blessing because it pushed me to do this thing, which I never would have otherwise.
1: Lily Vanilli is a true credit to Lily's passion for baking and determination to find a silver lining amongst the recession that hit in 2008. But despite the bakery's early success, she still faced a few hiccups along the way. I asked Lily, what was one of the learning curves in those early years?
2: You know, lots of kind of false starts. For example, you know, this concession I had in Harrods was not the right thing to do at that time. It felt like this great opportunity. And, you know, if you're approached by a big brand like that, you just think, yeah, I'm gonna make loads of money and have all this exposure. And that definitely was like a, a mistake and and I was way too small to do first of all any wholesale you know just unless you have a kind of wholesale model those margins aren't going to hold up you know I really needed to be doing like very niche bespoke stuff but I was still baking from home for the first couple of years so it's kind of nuts it's sending these cakes off every day yeah so things like that that I mean that's an example of something that was a mistake but I certainly because I had this kind of um, momentum with press I had lots of opportunities coming in, which was great because I was really broke. I certainly had no kind of strategy or branding or marketing or PR or anything like that. I was really just feeling it out. And I kept making, I was very experimental. So I had just made this weird like lobster sculpture (laughs) from cake with a friend. And then Chloe Scott from the Metro was going to do a piece. Anyway, so I'd I'd met her randomly and, and so she did this. This kind of Halloween feature on my lobster cake and like this weird cakes that I was making. And and I got a recipe I got a book deal off the back of, of that to do this zombie book, which is has been my biggest selling book so far. And it's like a B movie inspired, like comic book themed zombie cake recipe book. But it was just very organic and really without any money whatsoever, or or real really vision, but just like very interested very passionate excited about what I was doing and putting things out to the right people lots of collaborations with random artists and people in my
1: community but you didn't have any business background though like of which to speak you weren't massively schooled in that or any business savvy to be honest so do you think that was you know the Harrods thing is interesting because this is as you say a big opportunity that came early on it didn't work out do you think Basically, bit off more that you could chew, yeah. and you weren't really sure what you were doing. You said yes as anyone would, yeah, yeah, and you yeah. couldn't deliver, and you didn't have the resources
3: to deliver. We
2: could deliver, but it just it strangled my business because we, you know, the amount of work. So, so basically, if you sell anything wholesale, you're, especially to a really big company like that, you're selling it for such a low margin. When that only makes sense if you're doing vast quantities. But if you have one wholesale client who's say taking ten of each flavor a day, so you're making. <laughs> like six, seven different flavors, 10 of each cake is so much time and you're making no money. And yeah, so I think it's kind of to be aware of false opportunities, like false idols, you know, early on, you know, just really kind of try and Cost up your time properly. I think Mm. that's a big mistake which people make, especially when you're creative and you're like, just you're so excited to have the opportunity to do what you love for a living. You know, you discount your time because you're like, well, I can do it anyway. I'm just going to be great. It's going to be fun. First of all, it it sets unrealistic standards for the industry in terms of what you can charge and what you can offer for it. And also it's just not sustainable as a business model. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I I guess I meet like the way that I felt. I meet people constantly who say this to me that... um, you know, they love what they're doing and they love the creative side, but they don't they don't know anything about business and they don't really mm. wanna promote themselves. And I just and I'm just like, Well, you've gotta suck it up. You could either do it now or you can do it in a few years when you realize, you know, you're working your ass off and you're not making any money. And then you have to kind of reconsider everything and decide, am I gonna do this or and do it properly, or or am I going to pack it in? And it was fun to have a go, but I think you you know the the pleasure of doing what you love for a living. You've got to accept that there's these other things if you're doing on your own that you have to do to make it work, and they might not be your first love, but they're sort of essential.
1: And at which point did you start bringing in help? Help with the business, helps help with the accounts, help even with the baking.
2: It was quite a while, and to this day, I mean, I I have a girl who helps part time with admin. I have an accountant who does my taxes. Mm-hmm. But I run the business and and I bake. So it, you know, it's by no means a huge business, but you know, also the ways that we've grown are quite unusual. We do lots of consulting and things like that. So the day to day, you know, we don't we do very little wholesale. Just my afternoon tea is the only thing we wholesale to, and then we still do like very bespoke cakes to order to our you know our customers, which is really involved. So it, you know, it has not and we have one retail outlet in London, which tiny and only open four days a week. So it's, it's, not, it's not like a huge empire, but it's continued to grow in other ways through, you know, collaborations and charity work and then consulting and just sort of continuing the same ethos I think that I had early on with just fun collaborative projects and seeing what you can do within the medium. What does the consulting entail? So I work with lots of brands, which can be developing recipes or, you know, m- more like kind of partnering on projects and events and installations and sculptures and things like that. But then I also work mostly overseas with other bakeries, helping them develop their concept and identity
1: and recipes. Wow, okay. So you going back to the the kind of development of um, your business, so you've got your first book was The Zombie Book, which (laughs) I did incredibly well i think it's something yeah. like 900 000 copies it's sold to date which yeah. is incredible
2: it w- apparently there's a lot of people that love zombies and cakes the whole thing
1: yeah <laughs> it's, I a thing. It. it's a thing you've written two other books yeah. since then baking books you've i mean it's kind of and you you opened another bakery so when, when did you open this particular one that we're sat in now in east london in 2010 in 2010 so by that point you you'd made some money
0: yeah,
2: I mean, look, I found this place on Gumtree. The rent is very low. Certainly at the time, I was not making very much money at all. I borrowed I borrowed 10 grand from my miller, my flour miller marriages, and that help, helped me secure the place. Right. And then what really changed and how it paid for itself was that the Sunday trade on Columbia Road Market is good. So from the moment we opened our doors, we were making enough money to pay our rent. And then slowly after that, I had Instagram and started selling cakes to order, but but on quite a small scale, honestly. And then it was kind of a bit later that I was, I did my second book and then started doing kind of consulting things. And then only quite recently since the pandemic that even the cakes to order business has grown. How did you come to open a second bakery in Georgia? This guy, he's now one of my best friends. So he just emailed me. He's like, you want to come to Georgia? And I was like, cool. Can I bring my boyfriend? (laughs) So I guess he emailed the right baker, but I didn't ask any questions. Went over there, just fell in love with the place. Amazing. Just wonderful people and food and wine. Some of the best wine in the world. And this fantastic place. And we make great friends over that course of that week. And then at the end, he's like, let's open a bakery together. He saw an opportunity for a creative bakery there. There's lots of weddings. Oh, why? And they they weren't very good. You know, there weren't, there weren't people doing very, like, beautiful wedding cakes. It wasn't really a thing.
1: This is like an investor-type guy who spotted a massive gap in the market in yeah. Georgia in the Middle East, not Georgia in America, just yes, to clarify. Yes, yeah. And so you opened a bakery there.
2: We've got a very cute bakery there in Vaki. And so you have people run that. How how yeah. often do you get to go over there? I haven't been since the pandemic. And before that, I was going maybe three times a year. So I really want to go at the end of the summer. But I have been missing it. But it is running very well without me, I have to say.
1: How can you run a business overseas, though? How does
2: that work? I had partners. So so it was always a partnership and, and you know, a wonderful team there. And I, I did spend quite a lot of time there initially training and setting up. And it was really challenging compared to almost anything else I've done. It was quite a challenge, but fun. Like, I loved it. I'm mm. so proud of it.
1: I suppose because you don't know the culture. You don't know where to source ingredients, I guess, at that point. You're quite new to it. You have to hire staff. You have to do all of that stuff.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, my kind of big projects have been in India and China and the Middle East. But Georgia was by far the hardest in terms of sourcing ingredients and getting them to work the way I needed them to. So, all of my recipes were basically useless and I had to scrap them (laughs) and start again. But just because the flour is much more absorbent and the butter has totally different liquid content and but radically different and it was really actually quite a lot of work to get things to a good place but it was so fun i really enjoyed it
1: you're listening to secrets of the side hustle with scarlet russell there'll be more secrets coming up just after this Welcome back to Secrets of the Side Hustle with Scarlett Russell. Let's jump back into where we left off. What would you say was the biggest setback that the pandemic made to your business and how did you overcome that?
2: To be honest, COVID was, it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to the business. Partly because it just made me... it freed up all my time to focus on my business here. Whereas before I'd be overseas or I'd be working on other people's projects. Um, So I just had, you know, I renovated everything. It forced me which I think is quite a common story, but it forced me to kind of reassess systems that I'd had in place for a while that maybe I'd grown lazy about and I hadn't, you know, I just maybe do more of the business side of the job, you know, really look at what's working and what's not and, you know, cut back where I could. But the other thing that was really good for me and for the business was all my stuff were furloughed, which obviously was a challenge, but I came to work every day of the pandemic and baked and, we, and kept, stayed open for my customers, even though it was on a tiny scale, we do these teeny little cakes. But I think first of all, that was good for my mental health, but also it was this there was just this very nice vibe around it and i think it meant a lot to people that we stayed open and um there was just kind of this kind of personal feeling about it you know people couldn't be together for their birthdays but they could send a cake and it was handwriting the messages and it was just very sweet and people would walk across the city to collect the tiny little birthday cake just for them and so you know we, we weren't making any money but it was a really valuable thing to do i think all in all, I think it was good for my business.
1: Was there one change in particular that you made during the pandemic, which you've implemented into your business now?
2: I mean, we totally renovated the space. We opened more days of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the way that we renovated just meant we could be much more efficient with, you know, lots of, yeah, lots of kind of little changes.
1: And the postal thing, I mean, that really grew on the pandemic, the, the postal brownies, the postal. Did you start doing that then or were you doing that before? No,
2: yeah, we started that then.
1: And you're still doing that?
2: Yeah, to an extent. The pandemic was definitely a good example of throwing stuff at the wall and seeing, mm. you know, trying loads of ideas. And we'd, we were like biking single sausage rolls around and doing kind of home delivery and then we'd do cake mixes and then whatever it was.
1: I'm interested as well into what you think about the massive, massive way in which baking has leapt into popular culture. You know, like Bake Off is the yeah, biggest yeah, show yeah. ever. And it just seems to be, everywhere now all over Instagram all over YouTube is that exciting to you yeah I love it I think it's
2: great and and you know I just think I am genuinely so passionate about my my whatever you know baking that I just think there's opportunities for endless creativity it can never doesn't seem to get oversaturated I just think you can always innovate and there's always something new to try and do and just the more the merrier I think and everyone's getting better at baking it's great there's great bakeries everywhere now
1: do you, you don't mind about the competition? No, I love
2: it. It's great. You can get nice cookies and cakes like wherever you go. It just wasn't the case before.
1: What frustrates you about your career? I'm kind
2: of in a place right now. I'm not that frustrated with anything. I have been in the past. I've definitely found like hiring and you know wasn't a natural. Like I said, I was a natural businesswoman mm-hmm. and struggled against that. And then you know had lots of learning curves with having staff and especially the kind of people that we would attract, you know, as like sort of very young people who baked at home. And it definitely had like times where I found that really, really stressful and was always worried about it, but we're in a really good place now.
1: What do you see as the next big baking craze or trend? I mean, we're
2: just now getting like the bigger, the better with the whole like 80s and like pillars and cherubs and fountains. And that's just gonna get camper and bigger and better, which is great. I can see it, or I sometimes wonder if we're like quite close to going full circle to when I started, which was like this very, you know, return to, well, not return to, but like um, using buttercream rather than royal icing and sugar paste Mm -hmm. and using fresh flowers instead of sugar flowers. And I wonder if this kind of piping trend and like retro trend is going to go full circle so that Mm -hmm. people start using royal icing again, because you can do cooler and like finer detail and like Lambeth method and all this different stuff. And then people will start making sugar flowers again and then I would, have, I would have seen it go all the way around but we'll see I have a feeling it might be going that way.
1: As the baking industry is pretty huge and quite competitive now if we've got anyone listening who does want to start you know start up a baking business they're inspired by you what would be some of your takeaway advice?
2: Honestly I would say I've seen it over and over again that if you're good there's room for you you know I just don't I don't believe, I think saturation only happens if you're trying to replicate something that's already done. It, you know, we live in this age where we have this incredible free resource with social media to market yourself. So my advice would be, don't spend your time and money worrying about your brand and and, you know, marketing and things like that. Spend your time and money honing your style and getting really, really good at what you do. And then the tools to promote that are free. I would say also now we live in a slightly more evolved age of social media so as much as you need to spend time getting good at whatever it is that your creative outlet is your whatever your brand your your product is you kind of do need to learn how to navigate social media now too it's not the mm. same as when i started where you just post whatever you're doing but it's still free so
1: learn how to do that yeah and it's an invaluable tool i guess yeah embrace it it works It has been a real pleasure getting to know our female founder on this week's Secrets of the Side Hustle. But I want to go just that little bit further and find out something about them or their business that isn't common knowledge. It's time for Best Kept Secret.
2: I think it kind of stems from what I was talking about before about being self-taught. And then, you know, you can, there's a lot of imposter syndrome that comes with that potentially. But I think just to embrace it and trust yourself to do something different and that's something i've really brought into the kind of day-to-day running of the business in terms of like a good example is how i hire i'm just as interested as i would be in anybody with like a really formal background of training and experience and as is in somebody who has a really great work ethic and is really bright and creative and artistic and has no next to no kitchen skills you know but a desire to do it because those things are much easier to teach, I think. Mm-hmm. They, you know, I can teach somebody how to make custard and cake and, you know, but but that kind of work ethic and the excitement that we have when we make something new and different, like that's what I really value in my team. And and so don't be afraid to approach things differently.
1: It's almost time to say goodbye to our female founder this week. But before we do, let's have one more moment of inspiration with our quote-for-quote where we share uplifting quotes with the hope to motivate you to pursue what you're passionate about. So I'm going to share with you an inspirational quote. You're going to share with me an inspirational quote, and we will both be very inspired. So this is the quote. It's by Eleanor Roosevelt. If you don't know, she's the former First Lady of the United States and U.S. delegate to United Nations General Assembly. And she said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent.
2: It's a good one. Yeah, I think it's a good one.
1: Mine would be, it was,
2: it was an old Coward quote. And he said, work is more fun than fun. I like it because I know that he's somebody that knew how to have a good time. And I feel like I really value as a priority living my life, traveling, enjoying, you know, that's always come first. But it's proof that I'm genuinely passionate about what I do, that I am dying to come back to work and i feel so fulfilled and, and i miss it terribly if i don't do it and actually this is the thing like brings me the most joy
1: wow that is really inspiring what is the future for your business what have you got planned for lily vanilli over the next year five years ten years even
2: well we launched our afternoon tea which is at the theater royal i'm really proud of it. it's a really kind of modern like rule breaking afternoon tea we have like a trolley with absinthe chocolate chip ice cream and there's no sandwiches there's nothing dull and it's really pretty beautiful space so and and we're always kind of doing we're always kind of mixing up the menu there so just really looking forward to how that evolves um and then starting to have more overseas projects open back up and yeah continue to do probably just keep doing the same thing here in this corner of columbia road in terms of retail in the uk this seems to be it but there's always kind of other creative projects happening on the side
1: you'd like to open bakeries elsewhere in the world maybe 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 if it's the right thing Lily thank you so much for your time it was a real pleasure talking to you you too I felt like I learned loads about your fascinating business I'm so excited to hear what else you've got in store over the years we'll all be keeping an eye on you follow Lily Vanilli on Instagram mm. at Lily Vanilli. Mm-hmm. And if you're in London at all, in East London or Georgia, you can pop down to the bakery and sample the goods for yourself. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Secrets of the Side Hustle with Scarlett Russell and our fantastic female founder this week, Lily Jones. The series producer is Anya Pierce. If you enjoyed what you heard, why not follow the podcast so that you never miss an episode? and you can listen back to all our previous episodes on the free times radio app or download them from wherever else you get your podcasts i'll be back with more secrets of the side hustle
3: next week a lot can happen in the next 3 years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance